We're going to turn to Psalm 101 this morning. Psalm 101. And uh, just so thankful for how the Holy Spirit of God works. Uh, I am just often amazed by different things that God does through the course of a week. And even in times where, where I'm overwhelmed, times that, that I don't feel like I'm up to the challenge, God always is. And that is especially true this morning. And as we come with this sermon, it really is something that God did in an unusual way. And I was just, I was giddy about it because it's so unusual uh, the way the Lord laid this sermon on my heart and then to just in my daily Bible reading, drive me into a passage of Scripture that, that collated so well with what God had already put in me for today is, is spectacular. And I believe it's with great purpose. I'm just convinced that this morning especially, that God was going to have exactly, precisely the people He wanted to be here. And that this sermon that God has been stirring in my heart all week was going to be for the ones who walked through the door today. And so if you're here, I believe you're here with great purpose. Uh, this morning's sermon title, I hope you'll never forget it. And there's just no other way around it. No other way around it. I tried to title it something different, something maybe a little softer. But when it all boils down, it's just the title that I know God wants it to be. The title of this morning's sermon is, It's Time to Scrape the Mud from the Bucket. It's Time to Scrape the Mud from the Bucket. You know... I've been thinking a lot about this coming year. And of course, we've got Vision Night coming up a week from today. It'll be Sunday night, uh, 7 o'clock this coming Sunday. I want everyone to be there. I, I want every single person uh, that has ever attended our church, I want you to be present for that. Uh, we will review some of the things that we looked at last year in terms of our vision for the future of our church just briefly. Won't spend nearly as much time as we did last year on it. We will hopefully be able to put together a slideshow between now and then of all that God did in the life of our church this year, which has been so exciting to see, hasn't it? Uh, it's been amazing to watch God grow our church. Uh, it's been amazing to watch God uh, work on our church, and I have just enjoyed every second of it. There's not been one moment that I've not thoroughly enjoyed. So we'll take a look back on that, and then we'll look ahead to what we believe God has for us in this coming year. But one of the questions that, uh, that I must ask myself is, how do we as a body of believers, ramp up our productivity for the cause of Christ while not radically altering our workload. Is that even possible? Because the truth is, we are all, if we're honest with ourselves, in a lot of different ways, maxed out. We all have busy schedules. We all work hard. We all have things that we're doing. And so how do we become far more productive for the cause of Christ without having to pour more and more and more time and energy and effort in. Well, I believe that more time and energy and effort is going to be part of it. Uh, I really do believe that, and I believe that God has brought different ones in to help carry that load as we grow and become what God wants us to become. But uh, I do believe there is a way to ramp up productivity without radically altering our workload. You know, many Christians are overwhelmed with spiritual workload and underwhelmed with spiritual productivity. I want you to think about that for a moment. There are a lot of Christians out there, they try really, really, really hard. 
And the outcome, the result of all those many hours of service and dedication and devotion appear, at least on the outward, to be not all that we hoped it would be. There are a lot of times that that's the case. Now, I'm thankful for this year. This year has been a different year for me. It feels like that God has just stepped in and worked and and performed some really great miracles. And I have enjoyed it so much to see this. But I, I, I began to ask tough questions in my life back in the spring of this past year. The question that we asked at the onset of this lesson is one of the questions I had to ask myself. How do do I become more productive for Christ without having to pour in more and more time? Because time is already hard to find. You know, I believe that one of the uh, surest ways to burn out in our service to Christ is by continuing in the painful pattern of a lot of work for the Lord without a lot to show for it. I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen over and over and over and over again with different folks in ministry, different folks who were uh, devoting their time and, and, and donating their efforts for ministry. I've seen this happen where folks just they just pour themselves into something. But when you look at it, you really just don't see what you'd like to see in terms of productivity for Jesus. Why is that? How do we alter this? How in the life of Trinity Baptist Church do we ensure that we're not spinning our wheels and going nowhere? Because that's a lot what it's like, isn't it? I was talking with uh, my cousin who happens to be, y'all remember the Zhang family? I, I read a card off from them on Wednesday night. The Zhang family that came a few weeks ago sat back there in the back. Dear, dear friends of mine from days gone by. I was talking to my cousin who also happens to be best friends with Daniel and uh, he was laughing with me. He was talking to me about uh, he, he used to run mail. That's actually how we first met is, is he ran a mail route uh, in Greencastle. And my other cousin, my cousin Jack, uh, he ran a route for the Greencastle Post Office. They met each other. He introduced Daniel to our family, and he's the one that invited Daniel to our church. And long story short, they were running the mail one day, and Daniel came in, and he couldn't figure out what was wrong with his uh, long life vehicle is LLV. He couldn't just, for those male people out there, you know the terms, okay? He couldn't figure out what was wrong with his LLV. He'd gone out, he'd loaded up all the mail, he was delivering from box to box, and he noticed every two or three boxes that day in the heart of winter that he would hit the gas pedal and the engine would rev up. And he would look down and he'd see that the RPMs were tapping out 4,000, 4,500, 5,000, but he wasn't going anywhere. The thing that really got him was every three or four boxes, he'd be hitting that gas pedal and he couldn't figure out why in the world his speedometer said 70 miles per hour and he wasn't going anywhere. Of course, Jack, he just bust out laughing because Daniel wasn't from around here. He didn't realize that whenever you hit the gas hard enough in an LLV and there's ice on the road, you're not going to go anywhere, but it's going to sure feel like you are. And what Daniel was doing every three or four boxes is he's pulling up onto an ice pad and not realizing as he was hitting the gas that the wheels were just spinning, but he wasn't going anywhere. It's the funniest thing listening to him tell that story. You know, a lot of Christians are like that. They're a lot like that. We just spin our wheels, but we don't go anywhere. So how do we prevent this from happening? Where did this thought even come from? Well, on Wednesday this past week, I was uh, backfilling the backside of my home that I'm working on. 
And we had a, a skid steer buck. And of course, those of you that know Wednesday, it was kind of a sloppy day. All right. Everything's been frozen. And when it thaws out, it's just slop. It doesn't really dry out. It just stays sloppy all the time. And that's what I was dealing with. I was dealing with just sloppy mud. But I've got to get the, the house backfilled because we're going into the heart of winter. And I can't allow that frost to get underneath my footers. And so I decided to start backfilling on Wednesday this past week. And so I jumped into the skid steer. And uh, I started grabbing off the big pile of dirt that we had in the back of the house. And I began dumping it in, dumping it in, dumping it in. And for the first five, six, seven loads, I thought, man, we're making some serious progress. But I noticed as I moved through that, uh, that every time I grabbed a scoop, it seemed like I was getting less and less dirt. Now, where I sat in the skid steer, I couldn't really see all that was going on. I could just see I was getting dirt in the bucket. I was dumping it out, dirt in the bucket, dumping it out. But it never seemed like I was dumping out as much dirt as I thought I had. This went on for about 30 minutes, trying to figure out what in the world was going on. Finally, I could finally begin just over the horizon of my, the top of my bucket. I could see some dirt building up, some mud caking into my bucket. And I thought, ah, oh, I knew that. I knew that's what it was. And I got to looking and I realized that my bucket was completely chock full of mud. It was stuck, caked back to the backside of the bucket where I couldn't really see it from where I was working. The solution, after I tried and failed to continue to be productive, because <coughs> that's what we guys do. No, how many of y'all like to jump off your piece of equipment and scrape the mud out of the bucket? Nobody likes that job, do they? What do we normally do whenever we have that job? Well, we tell the other guy, hey, scrape the mud out of my bucket. Because we don't want to get out of that piece of equipment. I mean, we're trying to get some things done, right? And that's what I was doing. I was trying to get things done. The last thing I wanted to do was take time, jump off the bucket, turn the piece of equipment off, and scrape the mud out of the bucket. I didn't want to do that. And so for about another 30 minutes, I tried to just keep moving forward. I didn't have another guy. My kids weren't there to scrape the mud out of the bucket. No, I wanted to keep moving. I wanted to keep going. I didn't want to stop and do this, but... I finally realized that I was just really spinning my wheels and going nowhere. That mud that was caked into my bucket, it was weighing down the piece of equipment. It was ruining my productivity. It was wasting my fuel. It was really damaging what I was trying to accomplish. It was causing me some serious issues. And you know, just like that mud in that bucket on Wednesday was causing me some serious problems. I think that the same thing happens to each of us when we allow sin to stay stuck in our lives. We wonder why it is that we try so hard to accomplish things for the Lord Jesus. But we never take the time, or should I say, we never have the courage to turn the piece of equipment off and look inside and see what's really weighing us down. And so this morning, I want to address that problem. The same thing that that mud was doing in my skid steer bucket is all the same things that sin does in my life. Sin weighs me down by a spirit of guilt and shame. Sin ruins my productivity by causing distance from the one who produces fruit in my life. Sin wastes fuel by using up all my time and energy for things outside of God's will for my life. 
Sin damages my purpose by getting me to live for my own selfish desires instead of living for our glorious Savior. And finally, sin causes long-term issues by tearing down my relationships, my walk, and my service for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, I do believe it is possible to dramatically increase the productivity of the church without adding tons of features and hours to it. I think what's needed more than anything else in the life of every church across our nation today is it's time for us to stop, to step out of the piece of equipment, grab a shovel, and begin scraping out the sin and waste from our lives. Can I just go ahead and tell you that from a spiritual standpoint, this next year will not look like any other year in your life if you'll just scrape the mud out of the bucket. Look with me at Psalm chapter 101. Psalm chapter 101. And this was what was so amazing. Like I, as I'm scraping the mud out of the bucket, I'm, I was frustrated but at the same time, if I'm just being totally transparent with you, I was thinking about the Wednesday night Bible study. I'm doing both things at the same time. I'm working. I'm frustrated. And then I'm trying to think spiritually about what's coming up in just a few hours. And so I'm working through this. And in the process, I'm scraping that mud out of the bucket. And it was just, I mean, I almost dropped the shovel. I'm not exaggerating. I almost dropped the shovel. I thought, whoa, this is powerful. God spoke to me in that moment. I mean, I was up to here in the mud and I was trying to get things done. But in that moment, I thought, wow. This is this is remarkable how this pertains to my life personally. And so then I, I, I had this on my mind all week long, this idea of sin in my life weighing me down, ruining my productivity for the cause of Christ. It's not that I wasn't trying hard. It wasn't that I wasn't putting in the time. It's not that I wasn't putting in the effort. It was the fact that I had things in the way. And it was so powerful in my heart all week long. And so as I sat down to begin studying for this morning's worship sermon, as I always do, I, I open up to my weekly Bible reading and I start to read and I get to Psalm chapter 101. And just like I almost dropped that shovel on Wednesday, I about dropped my Bible on Saturday. Look at what it says. It says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Now listen to this. I hope you're sitting down. I hope you're sitting down. Look at this phrase at the end of verse number three. It says, it shall not cleave to me. I was hoping somebody would hoot and holler right there. Now let me explain what that means. You ready? The phrase, cleave to me, you know what it means? To stick to me. Just like mud in a bucket. I got so excited. I mean, I, had, I just set my Bible down and I thought, oh boy. Oh boy. Because God was just speaking to my heart and, and stirring inside of me. And I knew it was for this morning. I knew it was for today. The reality is, is that we all, if we're honest, have mud stuck to our lives. Every one of us in this room. Now, your mud may be different than my mud. 
Your sin may be different than my sin, but we've all got sin stuck in our lives. And we're working, we're trying, we're really going at it, but it just seems like it's not going the way I hoped. There's an answer for that. There's a reason for that. And I believe that in a very profound yet simple way, what God is telling us is that the reason why we are spinning our wheels and oftentimes getting nowhere is not because we're not trying, but it's because we're not clean. We're not clean. I mean, how many of you go to your cupboards and look inside and try to find a dirty dish to use for dinner? Is there anybody like that? Anybody that just gets excited whenever they pull a dish out of the cupboard and they start looking at it and they see, that one didn't get washed all the way. I can't wait to use that one for dinner. Mmm, going to add such flavor to the meal. Whew! Right? No, none of us think that way. And yet here we are, dirty dishes in God's cupboard. And we're wondering why God's not picking us. We wonder why God's not saying, you know what? I want to utilize that dish right there to, to really serve out my gospel to a community that desperately needs it. God help us. It's time to scrape the mud from the bucket. You know, in this passage of Scripture, and we'll read the other verses here in a moment, but the first thing we see is the product of a clean life. The product of a clean life. Look at it with me. In verse number one, it says, I will sing of mercy and judgment. You know, the first thing that happens whenever my life is clean before God is I can actually sing God's praises. You know, I've noticed this, at least in my life. I don't know if you're like this. Some of you may not just make a habit of singing all over the place. Okay. And I understand that. If that's just not your thing, it's not your thing. Okay? But there are some of you in this room, I, I just know it. There are some of you in this room that as the day goes on, as long as things are right, you're like me and you just, you sing. You sing here, you sing there. You sing when people really don't care. But when I'm not clean... I notice that I don't sing. I stop singing when I'm not clean. You know, the first product of having a clean life before God is it allows us to really be able to sing His praises. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking none of us are clean. You're right to a certain extent. Because none of us are perfect, and I know that. The reality is, apart from the blood of the Lamb, none of us can ever be clean. And I'll get to that at the end of the sermon. But I want to drive home this reality. Romans chapter number 8. I've been stuck on this for a little while now. Romans chapter number 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But the verse doesn't end there. See, most Christians want to think the verse ends there. That God is just hunky and dory with however we want to live our Christian lives because we're Christian and Jesus will forgive us. But you have to take Scripture out of context to believe that. Because Romans chapter 8, verse 1 also says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What that means is that there is condemnation for the child of God 
who willfully chooses to go about his Christian life living in the flesh as opposed to yielding to the Spirit. I know that's not popular. I know that that is not the going message of the day. But let me tell you something, dear Christian. It is the Word of God that we can't just go about living our lives the way we want to, planning on Jesus' love and forgiveness to cleanse us. His power is great enough to cleanse us. But what does he say in Romans chapter 6? Again, in context, in Romans chapter 6, he says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You tell me what the next phrase is. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We have somehow gotten ourselves to a place where because we have so embraced the grace and mercy of Jesus, we have convinced ourselves that that is all that's enough for God to accept the kind of life I'm living. Did you know you can be saved and God can be unhappy with you? It's a fact. In fact, the Bible talks about the chastening hand of the Lord on his children, that God loves you enough to chasten you. I I believe this is such an important thing to, to highlight this morning, because if we're not careful, we've just believed that by and it's true that God is loving and God is forgiving and and by his mercy and his grace, by the blood that he shed, he stands prepared to to offer us forgiveness. The idea is not for Christ to forgive me so that I can keep on sinning over and over and over again. The idea is for Christ to offer me forgiveness so that he can pull me out of the sin. Oh, it is so important for the child of God to remember this. And I'll tell you what happens in my life whenever I begin to live a clean, upright walk before the Lord is I can finally sing again. You know, there's a second product to living a clean life. Not only can I sing God's praises, but I also can see God's person. Notice there in verse number one, it says, I will sing of the mercy and uh, I will sing of mercy and judgment. Whose mercy and judgment? God's mercy and judgment. You know what he's saying there is he's saying, hey, my eyes have been opened to the mercy and judgment of God to such a degree that I can't help but sing about who God is and what he's done. You know, Matthew chapter number five, verse number eight. Some of you ladies might remember this from your lady Bible study on the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter number five. It says, blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall do what? They shall see God. Preacher, I've not seen God in a long time. Can't figure out what's wrong. Where did God go? Used to, we had a close walk, a close relationship, and it seems like he's just left me high and dry. Where did God go? Could it be that God's not gone anywhere, but that a blindfold of sin has been placed over your spiritual eyes, and what God is calling you to today is to cut that blindfold loose. And finally, as that blindfold drops from your eyes, what we call sin, the blindfold of sin, all of a sudden now you can see God clearly again. It's the second product of a clean life. Your glasses ever get dirty? Mine are actually dirty right now. It's driving me crazy. I ran out of lens cleaning wipes like four days ago. Just driving me nuts. I try to use my back of my tie right there, but this one's not really good for it. 
say, Preacher, you're going off on a lot of tangents this morning. No, I'm just trying to highlight to you that when things are dirty, we can't see as clear as we used to. And you know it's true of our walk with the Lord that whenever my life is dirty, I cannot see God the way that God wants me to see Him. There's a third product to living a clean life. I can sense God's presence. Look at the end of verse number 1 in Psalm 101. It says, Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. He almost says that like God's standing right next to him, doesn't he? Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. He's talking directly to God. Why? Because God's right there with him. He's carrying on a conversation with God. Listen, there was no FaceTime during this era. No cell phones. God was here with him. He was talking with God, communicating with God because God was there with him. And can I tell you that when our lives are what God wants them to be, we can sense God's presence like never before. Finally, and perhaps most importantly of all, the final product we see here of a clean life is that I can secure God's pleasure. When I live a clean, upright Christian life, I can secure the pleasure of God. Look at verse number two. It says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. You know what he's saying there? When he says, Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? The idea is he's, he's coming to you out of preference. The idea is he's saying, God, I'm going to live and I'm going to walk uprightly before you with a wise and upright heart because my heart's desire is that you might take pleasure in me. God, I want you to look at my life and be pleased by what you see. And you say, see, now we begin to tap into the real motivation for living a clean life. It's not so that when we bump into others, our lives squeak. Squeaky clean. Better than you are. That's not the goal. The goal is not for us to, to, to have uh, something to talk about with other people that we've accomplished. The goal is not to turn over a new leaf to impress our family. The goal, very simply... It, the, the purpose, if you will, very simply for living a clean life is that we love Jesus. And for that reason, we want to please him. That should be motivation enough. Now, all those other things may follow. But what really ought to drive us to a clean life before the Lord is a desire to secure God's pleasure. That whenever God looks at us, he is pleased by what he sees. That is the ultimate reason why we are here is to bring glory and pleasure to the Almighty God. And that happens when we live a clean life before Him. So we see in this passage the product of a clean life. The second thing I want to look at is the path to a clean life. The path to a clean life. What must I wash in the darling blood of the Lamb? What, 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 what must I cleanse using the washing of water by the Word? In order to reach the clean life that God wants me to reach. The first thing that I must clean up is my home. Look at verse number 2. It says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. First thing that needs to happen, dear Christian, this morning, is there are some of us that need to go home and clean up our houses. 
I'm not saying your house is filthy. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about spiritually. We need to go home today and we need to take stock in what we have done in our homes and we need to make adjustments and we need to clean up our houses. That's step number one. How do we ramp up the productivity of Trinity Baptist Church without totally overwhelming us with a workload? Can I tell you something? If every home represented in this church was a clean home before the Lord, I guarantee you we'd be more productive starting with mine. Starting with mine. There are some of us today we need to go home and we need a clean house. We have allowed sin and filth to build up in our homes and we've shrugged it off as just being something that's fun, needing a break, doing something with my spouse, whatever you want to call it. Ask yourself this question, not what do I think of it? What do my peers think of it? Ask yourself the question, what does my God think of it? And then based on his perspective, determine whether it's something that needs to be thrown in a dump heap. Because the reality is, I believe that many Christians' lives are filled with nothing but garbage. Garbage. The world just keeps stacking on and stacking on and stacking on. Today, what we need is we need to hit the pause button. We need to stop doing what we're doing. And we need to start looking into the lives that we're living at home. The second thing that needs to be cleaned up is our eyes. Look at the beginning of verse number 3. It says, and if you want to memorize this, memorize it. It says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Say, preacher, what's the second thing that has to be cleaned up in order for my productivity to be ramped up for the cause of Christ? First thing that's got to be cleaned up is our homes. Second thing that needs to be cleaned up is our eyes. We need to dispel and discard any wicked thing that we have begun to set before our eyes. It is imperative to the child of God to be able to see what God wants them to see. Open up my Bible, read my word. If every time that God calls us to this, instead we pick up this, we'll never be able to see what God wants us to see. It's really that simple. Thirdly, third thing that has to be cleaned up is my relationships. Look at verse number three. It goes on to say, I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Say, preacher, what kind of people do I need to clean out of my life? The first kind of people that you need to clean out of your life are those who are attempting to compromise your faith. Now, can I be clear on something? To the strong child of God who knows the word, you understand part of your responsibility is to hang in on some of those relationships, not to be compromised, but to win them to Christ. But when a baby Christian comes up to me and starts trying to convince me that they're just hanging on to this relationship... This worldly, terrible, awful relationship. Because they're just trying to help them out. You know what my first piece of counsel is? You need to walk away from that relationship. 
Any time that a baby Christian walks up to me and says, hey, I know that, you know, they're doing this and they're involved in that. And, you know, I have been too in the past, but I'm over that. When somebody starts going down that road, I literally will pause them in their tracks and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Can we just be honest with each other? Spiritually speaking, are you in a place to try to help them? Or do you think it's more than likely going to be that they actually hurt you? Because if the chances are they're going to hurt you instead of you helping them, you probably need to walk away from that that friendship. There are those who are out there willingly and uh, intentionally seeking to compromise our faith. If you're in that kind of a relationship, you need to walk away. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about husbands and wives. You're married, you stay married. I'm talking about outside of our marriages, relationships that we have built. We have got to be careful not to allow those relationships to compromise our faith. And then secondly, we need to walk away and get get rid of relationships that are attempting to compromise our standards. Notice in verse number three, he says, I hate the work of them that turn aside. The phrase turn aside, y'all look that up. It's really interesting. It literally means to fall away. It says, I hate the work of those that turn aside, those that fall away. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. We need to be beware of the froward. There are people out there, they have one goal in mind when you go out with them after work. And it's not to show you a good time. It's to prove just how hypocritical Christians really are. You say, oh, I don't have any friends like that. You don't know that. You very well may. Be careful when you accept the invitation. Be careful when you enter into that relationship. Because the truth is there are people out there who are looking to compromise your standards and you've got to guard against that. Fourthly, we must clean up our homes, our eyes, our relationships. We also have to clean up our conversation. Look at verse number five. It says, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Talking about gossip there. Talking about talking bad about other people. You know, I honestly mean this. I can say this. I believe with integrity in my heart. There's not one time I talk bad about you. Outside of this place. I value you too much to do that. I, I would never want to to compromise your integrity with people that I know and love. I don't ever do that. I have no reason to, honestly. Y'all, y'all make it really hard to gossip about you. That's a great thing, I think. You know, I'm afraid that sometimes that we allow things into our conversation, not just gossip, Talking about profanity. We've somehow justified just because there's so much angst in our hearts, so much anger in our hearts that we just can't stand it anymore. So we just got to let it out. No, you don't. You don't have to let it out. Oh, yeah, I do. I won't be living it. Honestly, if I don't tell people what I really think. Well, not telling people what you really think. Is that living honestly? Is that living deceitfully? Or is that living like Jesus lived? You know, the reality is, is that we oftentimes 
justify certain behaviors and certain things that we allow in our lives because it's just who I am. But see, that's exactly why Jesus died is to change who you are. Jesus spilled out His precious blood on the cross of Calvary in order to change you from the inside out. That's what sanctification is all about. Why do you think the Bible's so big? You think the Bible's this big because God really didn't have any big plans for humanity? The Bible is this big because God knows our hearts. He knows they're desperately wicked. He knows it's going to take some serious instruction and learning to draw us from where we were when He found us to where He wants us to be. Some of us here need to clean up our conversation. And then fifthly, there's some here who need to have their heart cleaned up. Notice at the end of verse number 5, it says, Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. There are some here that need to have their heart cleaned out. You know, if we were honest with ourselves, the real problem is not the conversation. The real problem is not the relationships. The real problem is not the eyes. And the real problem is not the home. The real problem is the heart. An unclean heart is the reason for an unclean home. An unclean heart is the reason for unclean eyes. An unclean heart is the reason for unclean relationships. And an unclean heart is the reason for unclean conversation. So if you really want to get to the root of the problem, it starts with a heart that is clean before the Lord. That is the path. The path to a clean life. I want to look at the pleasure of a clean life. Look at verse number 6. It says, Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. You know, God does enjoy things. I really want you to soak that thought in for a moment, that God really does enjoy things. And you know one of the things that He enjoys the most is whenever His children are walking uprightly in truth and purity. That's one of the things that God enjoys the most. That's why the Bible tells us that we are to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. One of the things that God just dearly loves and enjoys, He enjoys watching a clean life. Notice in verse 6 it says, Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful. God enjoys watching a clean life. Okay, let's think about this for a moment. God sees everything you do. He sees everything. There's not one thing I do or you do that He does not see. How much of what He's watching is He enjoying in your life? As God is watching you, How much of what he is watching is bringing him joy? And how much of it is breaking his heart? God enjoys watching a clean life. God enjoys accompanying a clean life. It says there in verse number 6, Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. Think about this. God goes with you everywhere you go. He says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. But how many places is he going with you that's breaking his heart? God enjoys using a clean life. You know, God has a way of using us. Right, wrong, or indifferent, he has a way of using us. He can either use us to display 
to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to a lost and dying world that this is the life that he wants everyone to live. Or he can also use our lives to display, don't live like that. God especially enjoys using a clean life. The final thing I want to look at this morning in closing is the promise to the filthy life. Those who choose willfully to leave the mud in the bucket. To go about their Christian lives, they'll they'll keep working. It sounds like they're getting things done from a distance. It looks like they're getting things done. But when you get up close and you start looking, you all realize that it's just noise. A person who willfully chooses to live like that, there is one word to summarize what God pronounces upon those who choose to continue with a filthy heart. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. It says, He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. At the beginning of verse 7 and at the end of verse 7. At the beginning of verse 8 and at the end of verse 8. It's all the same. For those who choose to live a filthy life, what God pronounces on them as judgment is separation. And there's nothing worse than that. There's nothing worse than having separation between us and God. Nothing worse than that. And that is the promise of God on all those who will continue on living a filthy life before Him. You know, I got to thinking about the process that I went through to clean out the bucket and to get it back usable again. I thought, you know, that really ties in well to kind of close out the sermon this morning. You know, it's the Holy Spirit, I believe, that draws our attention to the mud that's in the bucket. I told you that whenever I first started seeing a slowing of productivity out of that bucket that bucket that I was dumping, it took me a while to, to realize what the problem was. And you know, I believe it's the Holy Spirit that comes along and says, hey, 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 well, stop. Just stop. There's mud in the bucket. The Holy Spirit does that. He's the one that comes along and, and points out what's wrong. And you know, it's the Word of God that's like that shovel. The shovel that God uses to scrape our lives clean. It didn't happen with one scoop, by the way. For those of you that know what I'm talking about, that have done any work like that, you know it doesn't just... I can't go into that, that skid steer bucket and in one big scoop with my shovel just go whoop and it's done. It took me like 25 minutes. I, I bet you I took, I don't know, 70 scoops of mud out of the bucket. You know, God's Word's a lot like that. God's Word is like that shovel that God wants to use to scrape our lives clean. And you know, it's preaching just like this. Preaching just like this, that's like the diesel fuel that we, that we are supposed to apply to the bucket before we start digging to keep that mud from sticking in the first place. I forgot that part. It's one of the tricks to the trade. Before you start digging, you take some oil, you take some diesel fuel, and you just douse your bucket with it real quick, and it'll help keep that mud from sticking longer. And you know that's what the preaching of God's Word is a lot like. You say, preacher, it seems like I just... Every time I turn around, there's just mud sticking to my life. There's just sin that just creeps in and sticks to my life. Ask yourself the question, how often are you positioning yourself to be within the sound of the preaching of God's Word? Because it's a lot like that diesel fuel that keeps the mud from sticking. You know, ultimately though, 
I say all of that to say that we are all imperfect. There's not a one of us here that the moment we become a Christian, we're like a brand new skid steer right off the line. Never seen an hour's work in all its life. The first time you hit that pile of dirt, that bucket never looks the same, does it? The reality is we're none of us perfect. And I praise God this morning that God's ability to cleanse is limited only to the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Which means that it doesn't matter how much mud is in your bucket. It doesn't matter how much sin is in your life. God today stands ready to clean your life completely. He says in 1 John chapter number 1 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does He do that? What power does God have to be able to take so much filth in my life and in one moment eradicate it and clear it all up? It's the power of the blood of the Lamb. That's what it takes. The blood of Christ applied. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today and you've been wondering why it is that you're not getting anywhere, could it be that the that the life you're living has never been cleansed? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I challenge you today. I challenge you today to finally, once and for all, rest in Christ. Allow Him to do that cleansing work that only He can do. If you're here and you do know Christ as your Savior, we're getting ready to step into a new year, and I already know you all aren't New Year's resolution people. I know that. I've been trying to change it for years. I'm not there yet, I don't think. But I'm going to keep trying. In this new year... I want to give you one challenge. Stop. Get off the piece of equipment. And take time to scrape the mud out of the bucket. You will enter into this new year so much more productive for Jesus if you'll allow God right now at this altar to cleanse your heart and to cleanse your life.